sand all over the house this evening. I know some are probably uh, battling the weather today. Some are still out today dealing with other things with their family. But let's just stand and worship the Lord and uh, sing a, uh, an old uh, song that uh, was written a long, long time ago. But let's sing it together.
today. Let's remain standing for prayer. Lord, we just love you. Just, we just glorify your name today. God, you are truly worthy of all our praise and glory and honor. We thank you, Lord, for the spirit of God we have felt in your house this morning. So, Lord, today, Lord, as we are gathered back here in your midst tonight, Lord, we know there are many that are not here for various and sundry reasons. God, there are some that are sick today, that, like Brandon and Tana and their family. Lord, Sister Patricia Lambert is battling tonight, Lord, some allergies and sinus and migraines. Lord, I pray, Lord, for Sister Jane Alford, Lord, who is not feeling well today. Lord, Miss Glenda's family, God, that, that just needs a touch. Lord, right wherever she's at right now, God, you can just touch her. God, I know there may be some not here tonight due to uh, CLM graduations they were attending, and others are not here, maybe due to weather. But God, we're here. There may be some watching online right now. God, we are in your house, and we're gathered in your name. And Lord, we know your hand is not too short that it can't reach down and be with us in this house today. So, Father, Lord, I pray that everything we do and say and done be for the advancement and the glory of the kingdom of God. In the name of Jesus, we pray and ask, and the people of God together said, Amen. 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 You take this time to greet one another in the Lord. back together this evening and remain standing for worship today as we continue to sing. Some of these songs are going to be songs that you recognize. They're going to be uh, some praise choruses that we have sang around here before, but we're going to just ask you to stand all over the house again and sing with us this morning. Yeah. 
Lift your hands all over the house and just tell the Lord why you love him. Lord, we love you today, Lord, and we just glorify you and magnify your name today. God, we truly feel your presence in this place. Father, that's why we're here. That's why we love you so. You're very near. The Bible says you're close as the very mention of your name. So, God, today, that's why in this house today we can stand here and decree and declare that it's good to be in the house of the Lord because you are here. That's the reason we love you so, because you can be there at the minute's notice, at the mention of your name. You are right on the scene. God, you are always a very present help in time of trouble. 
And when we need you most, we can find you there. Anytime, any place, anywhere. Father, I stand today, God, behind this sacred lectern. I thank you for the Spirit of God we felt in the house this morning. God, I know there are many that were not here today. There are many that are not here tonight that are normally here in the evening service. God, it doesn't take away from the fact that you're here. And that's what matters most, is that you're here. So, Father, I pray that every song we have sung, every note that has been played, God, every prayer that's been offered up, God, that you would inhabit the praises of your people. God, you would come down and just settle with us for the next few moments and make residency with us so that, God, we can say, I, like the psalmist said, I was truly glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. For that, we give you all the praise, the glory, the honor that is due, the name above every other name. That's the name of Jesus. We pray this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The people of God together said amen. Amen. I'd like to say something before we get started tonight. Last Sunday, when Patty had a heart attack, it just happened right in front of our eyes. And she told me, and man asked her, finally asked her, he said, on the way coming to church that morning, he said, Patty, you okay? She said, I still feel good. And Ann was asking her, how do you feel, Patty? She said, I don't know. She said, I just feel nauseous. I'm just tired. I didn't sleep last night. My shoulders are hurting. And man said, the whole way, after we got home, he called Nanny. He said, she had just come to our house, and he said, um, keep an eye on Mama. Keep an eye on Patty. And, and then he said, oh, she just got indigestion. Not even 10 minutes later, Nanny called the house and said, Patty was trying to come to the back door to come pray for y'all to pray for her and couldn't make it. You know, we take things for granted. And like me, is always saying, oh, she's my baby sister. She, she's strong as an ox because she'd help me work all day Saturday, not thinking that's going to happen. The hospital said that if somebody hadn't have been with her, she would have died. She had 100% blockage in the front side of her heart. And Mary said, when he got over there, all he, Mary panicked. Because the man gets, man, man gets upset, he loses it. He said, all I could say was, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. He said, I couldn't say anything else. He said, I didn't know how to help her. He said, luckily, Aaron and Parker and some other ones were there that could take over. He said, because I just shut down. And then we got her home, and then Wednesday, I'll tell you how God worked. Tuesday, when I got her home, Mary's mama said, I'm calling that doctor's office to get her appointment, but I do not want to be seen by that same doctor. And I told her, I said, Nanny, whatever they give you, whatever doctor give you, just take it, just go with it. You know, she's got to be seen. She got in there, and as they was checking her, they thought she was having a seizure. She just blacked out. And the next thing you know, she just went completely out and just slid right on out of the chair onto the floor. They called EMS. EMS said, thank God she had that doctor's appointment that day. 
we all know Patty is a good girl, and she doesn't understand me if they throw it over. She thinks she's okay. She has a long road of recovery. But as I was telling Jonathan, if something had to happen to her, I don't know what Miss Chase would have done. And then Friday would have been six years that Mr. Chase would be gone. And all day Friday, man, Mommy just right over, hovering over her after I got her home. And I said, Nanny, she's okay. And she said, I can't lose her too. But you know, sometimes all you can say is Jesus. You don't know what else to do. But y'all remember both of them because trying to explain things to them and work with them, and they just don't understand. I told Miss Jane today when I walked over there, I said, Nanny, we all gonna just have to relax and take care of each other. But y'all remember our family in prayer, but let's remember them too. Because with her not knowing and Nanny not knowing, it's a long road. But I thank God for the prayers, because I felt them Sunday going up. I didn't even know how to pray. When I got, man went on to the hospital, and Aaron said, you better go with him because, you know, man is shut down. And when I got there, he was trying to fill out paperwork, and he couldn't even fill it out. Y'all remember him? He's got a lot on his shoulders. A lot. Before we break the bread of life, no, we don't oftentimes repeat prayer requests over and over again just, you know, so that doesn't sound redundant you know I left for Kentucky and, and a lot of this happened while I was in, in, in Kentucky this past week but I told Brianna in the car I said to her I said if something I firmly believe that if something happened to Patty that would have been the straw since of change has been going down for quite some time I feel like she's lived and she keeps pushing and persevering because she knows Patty needs her and when this all happened and I began to, Brother, Brother Marion and Tana was keeping me informed and Brother Marion was, was tied up and, and, and what was happening, I began to think about the pockets in this church. And I say this, and I hope you understand this, I, I can't relate to some of these people in this room because I've not been there and, and, and I don't know if I will be. Maybe the Lord one day will require that of me do that with my parents I don't know how he will choose to do it but if you have never been a caregiver you don't understand the weight of what that means in the last church I had the esteemed privilege of serving I watched as men and women took care of their elderly parents and some of them out their parents outlived them because the weight of caregiving took them first before it took the parent because of the pain and the, the, the travail you know, on a typical Sunday morning, our rostrum is full with instruments and singers. Brother Larry can attest to this. He can tell you I'm telling the God's honest truth. As of today, we, this morning, early this morning, even as late as last night when I had touched base and Brother Larry and Sister Jennifer and I are on this group text and we sometimes send each other all these crazy, funny things throughout the course of the day. As of even last night, Sister Jennifer had every intention of being in the house of the Lord with us to help us today lead worship. This morning, they get up, do their routine. Brother Larry came in today. He said, Pastor, just like a blink of an eye, she had a phone call. 
She had to go to her parents. She's one of the primary caretakers of her father and mother. Both of them have some serious health issues. And they take care of Sister Sims, which is Grandma Sims, which is Sister Jennifer's grandmother. Sister Sims' son pastors up in Sumter, South Carolina, but, but Sister Jennifer's mom and them are the primary caregivers. So now you have an elderly saint of God that's the healthiest, but she's the oldest in the house. Watching her daughter having to deal with dialysis and watching a son-in-law have health issues that bars him from being able to take care of anybody. And the weight falls on Sister Jennifer and Brother Larry and, and Sister Jennifer's brother, Larry, to do that. I thought about how many years I had to watch Sister Glenda religiously put her life literally on hold because Bonnie needed somebody to get her back and forth to doctors. But as Bonnie began to deteriorate and, and, and her health started to fail her, so did Sister Skipper. And now it just wasn't Bonnie. Now we're having to have Pat and others come in because one's got to be with Bonnie and one's got to be with Sister Skipper because we can't leave either one alone. I can't tell you how many times I'd have to call. and Brother Mike and Sister Glenda can attest this. How many times I'd have to call and I'd have to go. We, we normally try to get Sister Skipper and Bonnie together at the same place, so it made it easier. But how many times I'd have to go to Camelot, and then I'd have to go to Farm Road because neither one of them could get to each other. Did short of distance in Goose Creek. How many nights Sister Glenda or Pat would rotate 24 on, 24 off, just staying religiously, leaving family, leaving husbands, leaving wives, you know, leaving leaving children, and, and they, they're just a revolving door of life being put on hold having to deal with grandchildren, but bring them over to Sister Skipper's house. Just the, just the busyness of being that caregiver. You know, obviously Sister James is taking care of Patty, but Brother Marion, for, for many years, ever since six years ago when Brother Wells transitioned from this earth to glory, Brother Marion's been the right-hand person to help her. I started thinking about others who are primary caregivers. I think about Sister Tina, who, who has to take care of her mom, elderly mom. No, we, she's been out here multiple times throughout the course of the last couple months with all these men and women that have been helping us flip different things and get it cleaned up. But there's been times she's got a phone call in that moment and says, Pastor, I hate to do this, but i got to run. My mom called. i got to go because that's, that's the nature of the job. It doesn't pay very well to do that job, but it's 24 hours. There is no on-call, off-call. I remember one time when Sister Skipper and Bonnie was not doing so well, Pat was on that night. Sister Skipper fell, so you know what Glenda had to do? Even though she was off, guess what she had to do? She had to go back to Goose Creek. She had to stay there. She had to get Mom into the hospital, so then one stayed with Bonnie while the other not. It, it never was off. So for some of us, it's easy to look at it and be like, well, why don't you just hire a nurse, or why don't you just hire a hospice, or why don't you just hire somebody to do it, or this, that, and the other. But that's easy to say until it's your person you're taking care of. Because I firmly am one of those believers that nobody will truly take care of you like your family in terms of making sure that you get the best care. Uh, my wife works in medical, and I tell her this all the time. I, I Don't take me to the hospital. Leave me, let me die at home. Just don't even tell. I don't trust any of them. I trust her slightly, but the rest of them I don't trust at all. I've been in the hospital. I've watched I've watched them read the charts and then have discussions in the outside of the, the, the patient's door and thinking, well, you know, there's not really much we can do, so they don't even want to try because it's like a nuisance to them. Healthcare has went down the tubes immensely over the last few years. Nursing homes are not all they're cracked up to be. I watched, I just before I left 
to go to Kentucky. I did a homegoing service of a young man whose life was taken by his own accord, helping dial Murray in a funeral. I didn't know this family from Adam, and I went into the funeral home, and I asked them, I said, so how did I get contacted to do this? And they said the family had no pastoral or no church connections, nobody. I waited the funeral was over. I was telling Brother Shane and Sister Lori last night when I was at Storm's dinner for his his pre-college days. Dinner was finishing up. I told them that when they had let the family go, it was a memorial service, they let the family go. I asked Gage, who was the director that night, I said, can I have a few minutes in the chapel? And he said, sure, everything all right? I said, yeah, I'm, I'm fine. Just give me a minute. I could take you to the bench in the chapel of Dial Murray where I sat down. Place is cleared out. I'm looking at the wall. They have, you know, the shant, the, the lights on there. And I was looking at the wall, and I, my first thought was, how sad. People have nobody. They didn't have a pastor to call. They didn't have a shoulder to cry on. They didn't have a church to bring dinner. They didn't have a card worth thinking of you coming in the mail. And I believe that the Bible is very clear. Pure and undefiled religion before God is to take care of widows and orphans. But And I know that's talking about children that don't have parents and people that don't have... But people like Sister James, she's, she doesn't have a spouse. Sister Skipper didn't have a spouse at her time. Yeah, Brother brother Larry and Sister Jennifer's situation, yeah, the, the family is still there, but if you've ever dealt with people that are battling with, with disabilities that affect mental capabilities, they're not always the person you used to know. When they don't recognize you, when they don't know you, when they don't even, that it changes the game. But I believe church is more than just great singers, great teachers, preachers. I've often said that no matter how large the church ever grows with the Lord's help, if the Lord let us grow to 5,000 people, praise the Lord, but I never wanted to become numbers. I wanted always to be names. If God can help me remember 5,000 people's names, so be it. I'll do my best. But I never wanted to be that we're so big that we don't love them when they're hurting the most. I don't ever want to get to a size so big that when someone's heart is reeling or caregivers need a relief or they just need supernatural strength, we still got to go through the programs because we've got the TVs that are watching and we've, we've got the online campus that is watching and we've got to make sure that the local news station, that we don't want to mess up what the product, I don't want to become the production. I want it to still be relational. Because to me, church is not about just coming, it's about being family. It's about bearing one another's burdens together. Jesus said, if a man sees that someone has ox fell in the ditch, would he not stop and help his brother get his ox out of the ditch, keep going? I think sometimes that doesn't have to just be about physical labor. That could be about things like caregiving. If someone sees Patty is down, Sister James got a lot on her plate, we can help be a support system for people like that. Help them get the ox out the ditch. Be there together. Many of you in this room have went through surgeries together. Heart surgeries, knee surgeries. Sister Joanne Stepler's son's having surgery in California. When I called her in, in, in Red River, or in um, Abraham Lincoln's his National Historic Park, on the phone with her, we finished up talking, and she was telling me about her son, and I said, she said, Pastor, before you leave, can I ask you a question? I said, absolutely. She said, why did you call? I said, do what? She said, why did you call? You're supposed to be on vacation. 
you're not supposed to be worried about that. I called Brother Randy, and I told him, and, and I let the church people know to be praying, but I, I, I told him not to bother you, and, and I didn't mean for him to call you, and, and, and you're, on, you're on vacation. I said, you don't understand. I'd have been more upset if you didn't let them call me than to be called on vacation. I said, because, Sister Joanne, what you have to understand is when I came here four years ago, I told this church the first Sunday I was here, we may not always have the best music. We may not always have the best preacher. We may not always have the best facilities, but there will be no other church in town that will love people more than what we're going to love them. I don't care if we sing. I mean, obviously, I believe you should give your best to the Lord. I don't care if we are, are getting ready to go on America's Got Talent with our singing show or our band. I really don't care if the preacher preaches that well or not. I know who it is. He's not that great. But I'm not going to let anybody ever come to church and feel like they are less loved by anybody else. We're going to love them better than anyone else can. I don't mean they'll always stay, but we're going to love them to Jesus. The reality of that, Sister Joanne, I, I want you to know I can't go to California, but I'm going to have a church that's going to be praying. And there's going to be God. There's going to be a God that's going to go to California in my place. And I can't be there to pray with him before surgery at 3 p.m. on Tuesday, but you can bet your bottom dollar at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, which will be 3 p.m. California time. At 7 p.m., this pastor will find somewhere, and he'll be talking while God's in an OR room in California. Don't worry. I'm sending help to California on my behalf. I don't know where you are, but I'm going to, before we break the bread of life, I, I'm just going to ask you to just bow your heads. I just want to pray for our, our body, of belief, our family, Jennifer and Larry and Sister James and Marion and Sherry and Sister Tita, those in our family that have the weight of caregivers, on their shoulder. They still come to church. They still faithfully support the church. But they are workers, if you will, or caregivers. And some of us in this room, you know what that's like. I just want to pray that God gives them supernatural strength. That even when the road gets tough and it gets weary, help is on the way. There's still help on the way. Let's pray together. Father, I love you. I thank you so much for who you are. Father, I know that there are people's hearts that are heavy like Jennifer Wyatt, whose mom and dad's health is deteriorating. God, I know tears have fallen from her eyes. God, I know heartbreak has to set in. Questions, doubts, uncertainties. The why, Lord, what happened, Lord? All the questions that flood our mind. God, I pray for people like Marion and Sherry. God, who are trying to be a support system to help God meet the needs of a sister, a sister-in-law. But at the same time, God, I pray for Sister James, who has the weight of caring for a daughter. Flesh and blood of her own are making an accord. But her health is not the best either. But God, I believe that you can give her strength too. God, I pray for people like Sister Tina and others who have to take care of elderly parents. It's not always easy. It's not always simple. It's not always convenient. It's not always how we think it was going to be and how our life was going to turn out. But, God, we get hands that are dealt. We have no other choice but to play them because that's what we have. We didn't ask for it. We didn't necessarily want it. But it's here. God, I believe the words that a Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Philippi that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us.
I believe the words of your scripture that says, I can cast my cares upon you, for you careth for us. I believe the words, take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I believe that there is supernatural help when I don't have any other help to run to. I believe the words the psalmist David said when he said, I lift up my eyes unto the heavens and to the hills from which forth cometh my help, for my help cometh from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He's the one. He's the only one to really make it happen. So, Father, today I pray a special prayer of strength, comfort, courage, and favor to caregivers. And I pray for those caregivers' spouses, should they have one, that you would strengthen those spouses as they lift up like Aaron and her word of Moses, as they lift up the hands of those caregivers and support them and say, I'll stay in this battle with you until it's over. God, we believe you're still a miracle worker or we wouldn't be here today. But we know you're able to do it because your word tells us you are still the same God yesterday, today, and forevermore. Father, I thank you and I praise you and I glorify your name. We ask this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Together the people of God said amen. Amen. I'm going to ask you to grab your Bibles and go to the book of Job chapter 38. The book of Job chapter 38. We're going to read a few verses of scripture out of this particular passage. Job chapter 38. Once you have it, I'm going to ask you to stand for the reading of God's Word. Let me say to all of the band and all the singers and people that helped last week keep church running uh, while I was away, I appreciate that. Even when Sister Sherry and them had to be out due to Patty's health scare, Brother Randy and Sister Jennifer and others, they jumped right in. They swapped songs around. They flipped keys on the drop of a hat. They tried to figure it all out with about 10 minutes before church started, but they made it work, and I appreciate that. We are a blessed church. There's a lot of churches that are lucky to have one musician, must less be able to swap people around and move chesses on a chessboard, chess pieces on a chessboard to make it work. So we're a blessed people, and I don't take that for granted. Job chapter 38, verse 1. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind, and he said to him, Who is this who darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Now prepare yourself like a man. That's pretty strong words from the Lord. You can strike that down. You can write in Hebrew and Greek all you want to. And every day, Berkeley County English, he said, be a man, stand up. If you're going to call me out, then stand up and tell me to take it like a man. He said, since you got some questions, I tell you what, Job, I will ask you some questions. And you can answer me. Where were you, Job, when I laid the foundations of earth? Tell me, if you have understanding. Job, who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? But I want to focus on this, verse number three. Prepare yourself like a man. I will question you, Job. You will answer. For a few minutes, I want to preach on a question. Who's telling who? 
Or if you want to use the word talking, you can say who's talking to who. Because many times on our spiritual journey, there are many women on this journey of faith, they always like to tell God what he should do, but they never listen long enough for God to tell them what to do. Oftentimes, we're quick to give God the answers, but we're not quiet long enough to listen for his reply. Who's telling who? Father, I pray you bless the reading of this word. Anoint these lips of clay that I may decree and declare what thus saith Almighty God. Lord, I pray that you would help us to not only be hearers of the word, but doers thereof likewise. We pray this in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The people of God together said amen. Amen. You may be seated, if you can, in the presence of the Lord. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, because I certainly would not want to put anybody in a precarious situation or put them on the spot today. But I, I wonder, if I were to ask this question and have you reply, how, how many could answer this question or might would be able to relate to what I'm about to say? But I wonder if you've ever been in a season of life where you felt like God was silent. He wasn't speaking. I wonder if anybody in this house, again, I won't put you on the spot, but I wonder if you prayed, and as one book uh, author wrote in his book, I wonder if you prayed and it felt like your prayers, the heavens were brass. It just was bouncing off the wall and like you felt like God didn't hear nothing you said. Now, I will tell you that in my short life of 35 years, that I have had times in my life where I prayed and I did not understand why God was allowing what was happening to happen. And I was wondering where he was, why he wasn't there. And even as sometimes said, God, if this is what I was here purpose to do, and I've been serving you and this is the hand I get dealt for doing this, I don't want to do this anymore. Because it felt like in that moment that everything, heaven and earth, went dark and cold, silent. You know, there are going to be times in our journey of faith that we're going to feel deserted, isolated, feel like we are in times abandoned, feel like God has left us somewhere on some remote island to die, spiritually speaking. I'm sure that's what John probably felt like on the island of Patmos. He probably felt like, I'm never coming off this island. They've sent me here, quarantined me to a rock quarry on an island to, to hew rocks for the Roman roads, and they'll never let me off this island. I have no way to get back to the mainland. I'm going to die out here. He probably thought that many a days on Patmos. I'm sure there were times. We know for a fact that there were times Jesus felt that way as the Son of God. Because the Bible tells us that there were many times he would seclude himself from the disciples and go off to pray because he had to get revived in spirit. We know Jesus in his own, not spiritual DNA, but in his physical capabilities as the incarnate Christ, we know there were times he felt deserted. How do you figure that, preacher? Well, even when he went to the garden, he said, this phrase, Lord, let this cup pass from thee. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. See, it was his divinity saying, nevertheless, not my will, yours be done. But it was the flesh saying, is there any other way to let this pass from me? We know Jesus felt isolated before. Because if you traject, if you follow the trajectory of the seven sayings of the cross of Calvary, one of the sayings he says, my God, my God, why have you? Where are you? I'm out here. I feel like I'm all alone. Where are you, God? If you don't think Jesus, the Son of God, felt seasons like that, you think you're barred from feeling seasons of isolation or silent moments? 
I mean, God's own son at that moment felt in his humanity the weight of the world, if you will, on his shoulders. You see, I, I would not ask you to raise your hand or share your story, but if you've lived long enough, there have been times in your life you've had questions. You didn't understand why God was making you walk where you're walking. You didn't understand why God allowed certain situations in your life to happen. and put you, you didn't understand why. And maybe, maybe you're like the psalmist David. Maybe you've even questioned God sometimes and asked him why, but you never really got a good answer. I mean, David was full of it. The whole book of Psalms, there's many of the Psalms. David starts out with lots of questions at the beginning of the Psalms. Now, by the end of the Psalm, he kind of gets revived in spirit and says, but God, you're great and your blessings are bountiful and you're, you know, you're majestic and holy and I'll praise your name. But not all of the Psalms were praise. Some of them were lamentations of, oh God, where are you? They're there. Psalms 3 and others, they're there. David was a man after God's own heart. See, I firmly believe that it is not, God does not lay it to your charge that you have questions for God. God only lays it to your charge when you start to question God. There is a difference. God does not have a problem with you asking questions. It's when you start questioning who he is that you get into that danger zone. God has no problem you saying, God, I don't understand what I'm going through. I need your help, God. Where are you? That's not what God has a problem with. He has a problem when you shake your fist to heaven and blame him for the problem. That's when it gets dangerous. See, we have all experienced clouds of adversity parked over our heads. It would be like being in a courtroom where the prosecution prosecutor has made their final call they've made their if you were their case and they have destroyed your reputation and when the judge leans over the bench and says okay the defense attorney what do you have to say it was as if your defense attorney said no, I got nothing to say about it sometimes in life we feel like we're defenseless we have no help we have no one we're all alone I mean you have to think about it that had to be how Job felt for 37 chapters, it's been nothing but misery. You know, the old saying was, is, misery loves company. I believe that is true. I told that to my wife this past week on vacation. A couple different times things happened, and we watched different things, and I told her, I said, misery loves company. If, I feel, if I'm miserable, I want everybody else to be miserable too. We're all going to be miserable. We, we love company. 37 chapters. Job starts out as one of the wealthiest men in the east in chapter 1, but by the end of chapter 1, he loses his cattle, which represented his ability to offer sacrifices and worship. He lost his worship, if you will. Then he lost his children. All of them. Not one. You, you talk about, can you imagine the life of Job? Some of us in this room may have lost a child. But could you imagine if God wiped out all of your children at one time? Just like that. You know, we always talk about the, the disgruntled wife of Job. But you got to remember, Job and Sister Job have walked this road together. For Job, it was seven sons and three daughters, and they were important, or excuse me, four sons and three daughters, they were important to Job. 
But Job didn't birth the seven children. Sister Job birthed them. Science and psychology and, 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 and human studies, behavioral studies, tell us that when a baby is conceived, that the, the, if you will, the hormonal structure of women's bodies begin to change, and they already begin, even if they have a miscarriage, they still feel the connection to their baby. Job has not only lost his wealth, he's not only lost his worship, he's not only lost his children, but now he's living in a house with a bitter spouse. A wife that is miserable. Job's, all Job has left is a wife and his help. And even at that point, his wife is in a mess. The Bible says one more time, Satan goes and appears before the sons of God. And he stands before God and he said, if you just take his help, that will be the final straw. And God grants it. So he's lost his wealth. He's lost his children. He's, if you will, lost a good spouse. And now he's lost the only thing he has left. And that is his help. He's got sores and pain. It gets so bad that his wife gets so upset about his health and well-being, she says, Job, it would just be better for you to curse God and die. Just give it up. Let it go. I don't, I can't prove this. This is just my thoughts. I don't think Job's wife, was just so bitter at God and so bitter at Job that she wanted to lose her husband. you got to remember, she's already lost all her kids. I don't think Sister Job, if you will, was standing there saying, well, what? let's just go ahead and kill my husband too. I mean, i got nothing else. Let's go ahead and let him die too. I don't think that was the case at all. See, what I believe, and you, you, can, you can write this however you want to, I, I believe that she was speaking out of her own pain. It wasn't so much she's mad at Job. She don't want Job to die, but she hates seeing. She's already seen her children die. She sees her husband's life. She saw all of her life go down the tubes. Her wealth, her well-being, her husband's health. you got to remember, there was a mycogenic society. Job was the primary breadwinner. She's lost everything in this moment. That's why she's so bitter and disgruntled. Misery loves company. Three of Job's friends find out that Job is... Not doing well, he's lost everything and his health is deteriorating. They decide they're going to come and they're going to visit him. We, we all like it when sometimes people come over and visit us. And, you know, sometimes when we're, you know, we, we have a loved one pass away, we, we love for people to come by the house and just spend time with us. We'll reminisce, we'll laugh, we'll share stories. Because for a moment it seems like it, it masks the pain. It just stops the world for a moment. Except his friends didn't help masked the pain, they just added more pain to the problem. Because when the three friends get there, they first look at Job and they say, man, you look rough. That's encouraging, isn't it? I mean, your friends walk through the front door of your house and say, man, Larry, whew, you look rough, man. That's not how I invited my friends over for her. It'd be like your friend coming over to your house, walking through the front door, Looking around, take their take out a white and white glove, run it across your dining room table, inspect it for dust, and go, God, your house is dirty. You know what you'll say? Get out of my house. It's not the kinds of friends you want. You want people to help you make more dust for that collector's item on the table. <laughs> the reality of it is we don't want friends, we don't have friends to want them to 
push us further in the ground. We want them to be there when we need someone to lift us up. They for from the 37th, the 37th chapters, from chapter 1 to 30, chapter 37, when they're there with him, all they're doing is telling Job, it's your fault. You asked for it. You got it. You've made God mad. Job's tried to defend his case. Job's tried to plead. But his friends keep beating him down. To finally it comes to a point that even Job and all of his well-being, he finally decides he's got to ask God some questions he doesn't understand. He starts questioning himself, questions who he is, his integrity has been put on challenged, has been challenged, and God has been silent. But why, after 37 chapters, would God all of a sudden break the silence? Why did it take this long for God to say something? See, I can't tell you why sometimes God allows you to walk through silent places, and I can't tell you how long the silent places will last. But I will tell you God specializes in breaking through the silence and in the darkness. In the book of Malachi, Malachi ends. According to ancient history, they call it the dead years or the silent years. 400 years happened between the close of Malachi and the writings of the Synoptic Gospels. It's as if God went off the grid. He wasn't talking. The Maccabean revolt and other historical things happened, but it's like God's nowhere to be found. But even in the darkness, God's getting ready to break the darkness with the light of the world. He's getting ready to break the silence with the cry of a newborn baby. God knows when the right time is to break the silence. See, I believe there were some things that happened that created, if you will, an atmosphere for God to break the silence. I believe God was silent, but Job did a couple things that God took notice of, and finally God said, that's enough. I'm not going to let the enemy have any more hold on him. I'm not going to let the enemy still destroy him. Enough's enough. That's it. I'm stepping in now. Can I tell you, the devil can have permission by God to, to try to take you out. But remember what God said. He said you can do everything you want, but one thing. You can't kill him. The old song and the old phrase says, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. See, I believe God knew that as long as there was a fleeting breath in Job's body, Job still was going to praise him in the morning. Praise Him in the noonday. Praise Him in the evening. Let everything that has breath. It didn't say everything that had energy, everything that had wealth, everything that had health, everything that had children. It said if you can just breathe one more time, everything that has one more breath, praise the Lord. And what happened was Job, I believe God said, I, there's still hope. Can I tell you, if God has not allowed you to be taken out yet, there's still hope God's going to break through your situation. Until you get to heaven, you say, Pastor, I don't know how much longer I can hold on to. Well, if you just got a thread of hope, just a barely holding on by a string, if you can just touch the string of his garment, the hem of his garment, you still have hope. There is things in this life, our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. We still have hope. We're still on this side of the grave. Because he will break the silence. 
How do I know that? Because there's a couple things. The first thing was, Job looked to God. In Job 35 and 5, this is before chapter 38, the Bible reads this. For 37 chapters, Job's focus has been on the horizon. He's looked this way. He's looked at his health, his wealth, his children. He's all focused on this perspective, horizontal perspective. The rising of the sun in the east, the setting of the sun in the west, everything was on a horizontal plane. But in Job 35 and 5, the Bible says this. He says, look to the heavens and see. And behold the clouds. They are higher than you. What happened? Job changes perspectives. Job quit looking at the vertical, quit looking at the horizontal component, and he changed his vision to verticality. He realized, I can't have more wealth. I may not be able to get a better doctor's report. I may not have more children. I may not have a better house. There's nothing I can do. But if I look up, to the heavens, to the hills, from which cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. You may not can fix anything on the horizontal, but when you turn your eyes upon Jesus and look full in his wonderful face, the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. He changed his vision. He changed the way he looked. He went vertical. He adjusted his perspective. You see, many of us focus on our problems in life rather than on the eyes of the Savior who is the problem solver. The Bible is clear that we should look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Look unto Him. There was two times in the Bible Peter was rebuked by Jesus. And on both of those occasions, it was because he took his eyes off the Master. Peter's staring at the eyes of Jesus walking on water. The winds distract him. He cuts his eyes just to see the bullstring of the waves and the howling of the winds, and he sinks. Why? He lost focus of the master. Isaiah was in a season where he felt like everything was silent. Everything was going bad. They had one of the greatest kings in Israeli history, a guy by the name of Uzziah. Uzziah was a good man. He had instituted things. He instituted the Passover back. He got Israel back on right footing. But the Bible said Uzziah died. And Isaiah was distraught. That was his buddy. That was his friend. Isaiah's like, oh, God, we, I've already known the history of the kings. We've had some bad ones. We've had some dudes. God, you took Uzziah. What are we going to do? And in Isaiah 61, he said, but in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on the throne high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. You know how Isaiah saw it? He didn't look in the graveyard because Uzziah wasn't coming back. He didn't go to the palace looking for who was getting coronated as the next king. What he did is he got alone with God. Then he said, God, I don't know what we're going to do. And when he looked up, God let him open up the heavens. And he said, rend the heavens and you'll come down. And he saw the Lord. Sit it high above it all. You see, Job realized that there was a God that was responsible for all things, but he was still looking after Job. God took notice of that. The second thing I believe that 
God took notice of was that Job started to listen to the voice of God rather than to the reasonings of men. In Job 37, verse 14, here's what the Bible said. Listen to this, O Job. Stand still and consider the wondrous works of God. Listen to this, O Job. That's pretty direct. Listen to what? The promises of God. I still love that scripture in the Bible that says this. Whose report will you believe? I believe when the writer wrote that, he probably took a little bit of a 30-second reflective Selah moment. He might have penned whose report you're going to believe, and I think he laid the quill pen down for a second, and he just thought about it. Let that marinate in his spirit. He started believing, well, I could believe the oncologist. I could believe the lawyer. I could believe the doctor. I, I could believe the preacher. I could believe the divorce attorney. I could believe the, the heart uh, doctor. I could believe, I could believe, I could believe. And then he had this epiphany. And he finishes the statement by answering his own question. He says, whose report do you believe? kind of finishes it up one song simplifies it or dumbs it down to an easy phrase that says we shall believe the report of the Lord he basically said I, I don't have anybody else to turn to but God in this moment in fact the apostle Paul at the church of Philippi said this finally brethren whatever things are true or noble whatever things are just things that are pure things that are lovely of good report there be any virtue if there be anything praiseworthy meditate or think on these things but the key word is of good report whose report God's report see I think sometimes we have to listen one more time we have to pray one more time we have to give one more time and God notices when we start listening to what his word has already instructed us to do. God takes notice that we're walking by faith and not by sight. Job was already looking vertically. But when you start changing your perspective from horizontal to verticality, when you start looking vertical, sometimes you won't always see God moving immediately. But you have to walk by faith, not by sight. I tell people, I've told many people, Many persons that have talked to various times and various places. And when you cannot see his hand, you can trust his heart. Because you're not always going to see his hand. We sing that song so eloquently that even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop working. You're not always going to see God do it. But you can rest assured because of the sovereignty and of the character and the very DNA of who God is. He who began a good work is faithful and just to complete that work. You may not see it, but that doesn't mean he's not going to do it. Because you can trust his heart. So God noticed that Job changed his perspective. God noticed that Job was listening not to the discourse of men, but to the promises of God. But the final thing that I believe moved the needle. God was on the cusp of breaking the darkness. Breaking the silence. I think the needle was moved by this final thing. Not only did Job change his vision and listen to the promises of God. But he trusted or in other words he leaned on God. There's an old song that many people have 
sang, and I, I think it was a southern gospel song for many years. But it said, the, it was really kind of catchy little tune. It says, I lean on you, Lord. I lean on you. For the things that I need, I lean on you. When I don't know what to do, I have the faith that you're going to see me through. To provide for my every need, I lean on you. Another songwriter decided that they wanted to describe that, and they decided they put it this way. Learning to lean. Learning to lean. I'm learning to lean on Jesus. I'm finding more power than I ever dreamed when I learned to lean on Jesus. See, the reality is God noticed that Job had changed his verticality from horizontal to vertical. God noticed that Job was listening to the promises, but what moved the needle was Job 37 and 14. The second part said this, Stand still and consider the wondrous works Stand still. I remember when King Jehoshaphat, Miss Kills, you make your way. I remember when King Jehoshaphat was getting ready to go to battle. God gave him some instructions. He said, I want you to put the praises up front. I want you to put all of the, the, the musicians and singers before all of the, of the army or the militia. To everybody else, this sounded like the most ludicrous and ridiculous army tactical structure or tactical if you will plan that has ever been done nobody sends an unarmed man in front of the armed people I mean the guys walking on the battlefields getting ready to walk in the battle line are carrying trumpets and harps and lyres and singers no guns no swords no, no ARs no Glock 43's no you know, 38 specials no MP shields, nothing. They were carrying musical instruments. It's not real threatening in battle times. You've never heard the President of the United States get on the radio and say, we're getting ready to go to war with Russia. I'm going to ask everybody that plays guitar to come on over. We're going to let you sing ukulele songs as we go across to Russia. No, they want people that have weapons. It seemed odd. And as he's given the decree to the people, God speaks to him and says this words. Jehoshaphat, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. It doesn't make sense, sense, Jehoshaphat, but I never wanted you to work. I just wanted to see if you'd lean on it. I just wanted to see, would you put the praisers up front? Jehoshaphat, I know putting musicians on the battlefield's a bad idea. I just wanted to know if you trusted me enough to see if I would do what I said I would do. And Jehoshaphat, I saw you do it, so just stand back, stand still, and I'll take it from here. Can I tell you, sometimes the only reason the needle has not been moved on your behalf is because God's waiting for see if you'll put your faith into action. Will you just do what he's already said? And when he sees that, then he'll say, okay, now stand still. I got it from here. He just wants to see, are we going to move? I believe, Joe, listen. Job looked, but when Job finally stood still and tried not to figure it out or to rationalize it, and he just said, okay, God, it is what it is. It is what it is. That's when heaven said, stop. That's when God 
who was sitting on his throne of heaven. I believe that's when God's sitting there, when he saw that Job said, enough, I just am going to trust God. I don't care what you guys have to say. I don't care what the wife has to say. I don't care. I trust God. Though he slay me, yet still serve him. When that moment happened, I believe God stood up and said, that's enough. That's what I've been waiting on. That's what I was waiting on. I just needed to hear you say it, Job. I just wanted to know that no matter what, you've got my back because I've got yours. Can I tell you today, if you've got God's back, God's got your back. If you back God, no matter what the enemy of your soul tells you, no matter what your friends tell you, no matter what your family tells you, if you stay true and back God, God will back you. He'll back you. He won't leave you. He'll back you. Can I tell you, if he backs you, there's nothing anybody can do to you. The Bible says, greater is he that lives within me than he that's in the world. I'm telling you, if God be for you, who can be against you? You want him on your side. You want him on your side. I believe when Job finally said, I can't do it. I trust you, God. I'm just going to give it to you. There's nothing I can do about it. God said, fine. I got it. That's what I was waiting on. You see, God is the only person that can bear the weights of your problems. Job was leaning on the character of God. Job 13 and 15, he made that declaration, though he slay me. Yet will I trust him, even so I will defend my own ways before him. What Job said is, I will not turn my back on him now. I believe the old Southern Gospel writer that wrote that song, they probably had just finished reading the book of Job. I believe they probably had just finished reading that, and they decided, you know what, that'd be a good gospel song to write. I'll not turn my back on him now. He's given me everything I have. He gave me my first breath. I'll give him the last one. I won't turn my back. I'm telling you, he who began a good work is faithful to complete it. If you trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, in all your ways acknowledge him. He he will make your path known. He'll show you. And in that moment, in that moment, God answered him and he said, Who is this that darkens the counsel? Now, Job, gird up yourself like a man. I've got some questions for you to answer. Were you there when I laid the foundations of earth? Tell me, do you know its measurements? Surely you must know where are the foundations fastened, who laid its cornerstones, who shut the seas with doors, who fixed the limits and set bars and doors, who was it that says you can't come any further? And he began to ask these questions of Job. And in chapter 38 and 39, he asked these questions. By chapter 40, he says, Shall one who contends with the Almighty correct him? What God is really saying is, Job, who's talking to who? Are you trying to tell me why I did it? You don't understand. You don't know, son. But in Job chapter 40, after God said in Job chapter 40, verse 2, he said, God said to Job, he said, Shall anyone, who shall be the one that contends with the Almighty and correct him? Who rebukes God and answers him? In chapter 40, verse 3, Job responds by this, Oh God, I'm a vile man. 
what shall I answer to you? I lay my hand over my mouth. Once I have spoken, but I will not answer no longer. Yes, twice, but I won't proceed any further. God gives Job a challenge again. He says, now prepare yourself like a man. I will question you that you may answer. Same thing he just said in chapter 38. Then he starts asking questions. By the time he finishes up in chapter 42, this is what Job said. God, I now know you can do everything and there's no purpose of yours that can be withheld from you. You asked, who is this who hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand. Things are too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Listen, please let me speak. You said, I will question you and you will answer me. I have heard of you by the hearing of ear, but now my eyes see you. Therefore, I repent. I repent. I'm, I'm sorry. Chapter 42, verse 7. After the Lord spoke these things to Job, his wrath was against the three friends of Job and said, Except for the prayers of Job, I will kill you unless he prays on your behalf. By verse 10, And the Lord restored Job's losses when he prayed for his friends. While Job was praying for someone else's problem, God was fixing Job's problem. And the Bible says that as he was praying for his friends, that as he prayed, indeed, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Verse 11, then all of his brothers and sisters and those who had been acquaintances before came to him. They ate food with him in his house. They consoled him and comforted him. Where have they been the last 40 some odd chapters? They helped him. They brought him. Each one gave him a piece of silver and a gold ring. Now the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than the beginning. He had once started with 7,000 sheep, but now he has 14,000 sheep. He started out with 3,000 camels, but he's got 6,000 camels. He had 500 yoke of oxen. Now he's got 1,000 yoke of oxen. He had 500 donkeys. Now he's got 1,000 donkeys. He originally had seven sons and three daughters. Now he has seven more sons and three daughters. So he's had 14 children. Well, who do you have them by? Sister Job. For everything she had lost, God restored back unto her. The years that the canker worm and the lotus worm, the plowman will overtake the reaper. God sees you in the middle of the struggle. And the Bible says that there were none more fair than the daughters of Job in the land. I'm telling you, when, when you look to heaven and you trust in the Lord and you listen to his word and you lean against him, God will break the silence. He'll break the darkness and you will see God. God do things that you never thought would happen. But here's the critical aspect. You have to be the one to move the needle. It is not a lack of power on God's part. The Bible teaches us God's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. God doesn't change. God's power is limitless. He doesn't change. The only way that needle is moved is my response to his word. See, there's a lot of people in this world, they like to tell God a lot of stuff. But I believe that there are times in our lives that we don't need to be the ones telling God 
We need to let God be the ones telling us. We weren't there when he laid the foundations. We weren't the cornerstone. We weren't the ones to tell the seas to stop. We don't know why God does what he does, but he knows why he does what he does. I'm not telling you you'll never have questions, but I'm telling you when you have questions, trust Jesus. When you don't know what to do, lean on him. Because even when you don't feel like he's listening, he is. It may seem like you're praying silent prayers, but if you hold on, he'll pierce the darkness. He'll open up the heavens. He'll pour out a blessing upon his children that they scarcely will have room enough in their mortal bodies to contain. And they'll be able to say it was good to be in the presence of the Lord. Your head bowed and your eye closed. I'm going to pray a prayer over you today before our benediction. Eternal Father, I've done my best to preach your word to your people today. Father, I am nothing special other than just a willing vessel. I pray today you would speak to the hearts and lives of the believers in this house and this body. Father, I pray today that if there be a man, woman, boy, or girl in, in the house or online, today, God, that something in the morning service or this tonight service would have spoke to their heart and encouraged them. Let us never get ahead of you, but let us always keep our ears in tune and keen to hearing the words of God. God, may you bless us and keep us and make your face shine upon us this week. Be gracious to us. Lift up your countenance. Give us a peace of God that surpasses all human understanding. Guard our hearts until you come again. Let the words of our mouth and meditation of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our eternal strength and Redeemer. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Spirit of Almighty God, we pray and ask these things. The people of God together said amen. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand for our benedictory prayer. Let me just say to you before we close in prayer, don't forget midweek service at 7 p.m. on Wednesday night. Don't forget uh, little pappy's uh Pillars Ministry Breakfast at 8.30 on uh, Saturday. Uh, Brother Henry and Brother Dennis will get there early and go ahead and make sure the waitresses are waiting for us and get the coffee started for us. Then tell Ashley she's got a big group coming so that she doesn't freak out when we take over the restaurant. But uh, but we would love to just have breakfast with you and, and just love on you. Uh, be looking out. The next couple of weeks we'll be putting out calendars that will be in the Welcome Center area. Connection Center that will have every month's events. So you can hang them on your refrigerators or put them in your phone or whatever you do with calendars. Whatever you make them scratch pieces of paper. But you'll know what's going on every month. Because some people say, well, I was in children's church. I was in the nursery. I was in whatever. And they miss them on the screen. So if they have it in writing. We can't say they didn't know what's happening. So uh, the next couple of weeks we'll have those out there for, for the different months of what we're going to be doing. A lot of exciting things coming up towards the, the, the last quarter of the year. We've got a lot, of, a lot of stuff that's coming up real quick, but we're excited about it, and you're not going to want to miss that. I'm going to ask uh, Brother Randy to close us out in prayer. Immediately following his prayer, you can be considered dismissed. God bless you, Brother Randy.